Nathan, Ed, I think you could hear in that last story a certain amount of reconciliation that occurred over time. But this tension between urban-rural is certainly a matter of very different perceptions on the part of each party. What I want to know from you is, is it just perception, or are there real fundamental, maybe even structural differences between urban populations and rural populations that run throughout American history? Well, I think one of the critical kind of pillars of American identity is this notion that the country began as a kind of rural republic, right? But if you go back to the colonial period, um, it, it oftentimes makes more sense to think about early America as really being the hinterland of an urban Europe, right? I mean, particularly of London. Um, you have uh, goods and services moving between, you know, London and, you know, places in Virginia and in Massachusetts. Um, so there's, a, from the very beginning, a kind of connection between urban life and what we would call kind of rural life in colonial America. Well, if that's the case, how do we get what certainly seemed to me one of the fundamental divides, this debate between Hamilton and Jefferson, a more urban-looking manufacturing political economy, and Jefferson's really worshiping the rural yeoman farmer? In many ways, it's a projection of what Nathan was talking about before in the sense that America imagines itself as a rural country from the right. beginning, even as it is actually pretty darn urban. And mm. so if you imagine yourself as the rural hinterland to the corrupt English empire, mm -hmm. then you emphasize your rural roots, you know, right. your, your independence from these markets. Even as you're urbanizing. Exactly. That's right. So the hinterland, America becomes a lot more rural <laughs> before it becomes more urban, right? It expands across the north and the south into vast new areas, displacing American Indians and creating farms and plantations that are then flowing back into these cities that they resent so much. So it sounds like you're drawing a distinction between the rural and, say, the wilderness. Yeah, the wilderness is where the American Indians live, Nathan. Uh, <laughs> and what makes the difference? You know, white Americans realized that the Indians cultivated the landscape. They could see it with their own eyes, and they overran those villages and those that, that mm -hmm. landscape to take it. Mm -hmm. But what they did not do was enclose it in fences. They didn't mark it off as rural areas that are bought and sold. And so what becomes rural in the American imagination are places that are not cities, but that are tied to the cities, first of Europe and now to ourselves. So Jefferson and Hamilton are imagining different centers of the economy. Jefferson wants to focus on the places where things are grown to feed the cities. Hamilton wants to focus on places where the food is being consumed, where the money's being made, where manufacturing is being made. So they're both emphasizing productivity, but they're imagining different anchors of the economy. And there's a certain kind of assumption that goes with that divide, right? That somehow the kind of corrupt bankers in America's right. city are, are leading the country down a potentially you know, dangerous really road. They're not really making money. They're just right. <laughs> skimming it off other people. Absolutely. And that the independent kind of, you know, yeoman farmer or even the planter as a kind of like patriarch, a moral patriarch of, of the household are the, the real heart of the country's well-being. Because they are making something out of nothing. They're literally planting seeds in the soil right. and things that would not be there otherwise wise are growing, whereas bankers are just moving paper around. So, Nathan, you're saying that the slave-holding planter was more productive than the banker? 
Well, this is exactly the problem with that formulation, right? Because it's not as if the planter is making something out of nothing. It's that the slaves are actually working this land, right? And abolitionists who are throughout, you know, America's cities especially recognize this. And so they see, in fact, not a kind of moral, you know, planter, but the great evil, the great moral evil of the country, which could have been eradicated during the revolution and during the founding of the country, but wasn't because you had planters essentially writing the country's founding documents, right? So the moral divide between rural and urban really does get heightened around this question of abolition and who, in fact, should be the ones who make the country's prosperity move. Should it be slave labor in places like Virginia or in Georgia, or should it be free labor in places like Pennsylvania and New York? Yeah, that's an important distinction there, Nathan, is that the antidote the abolitionists imagine is not the city, however, it's the family farm in Mm. the North, right? And so there's a case where the moral bonus points don't necessarily accrue to the people who are making the arguments, but rather they're projecting it onto a rural landscape that still has that Jeffersonian productivity on it. And the enemy of free farms is slavery. Think about Mm -hmm. what the Civil War is actually about. It's actually controlling the rural landscape. And so that's the important divide is that slavery obscures for a moment that urban-rural divide. But as soon as the war is over and slavery is destroyed, the urban-rural thing reasserts itself. Mm -hmm. But surely by the time we get to the populist era and the farmers rise up and attack those bankers in the city, we've really got a real urban-rural divide, right? Yeah, and for those of you who may have forgotten who the populists were, they were the last unified effort on the part of rural interests to take America. In the 1890s, they grew up and tied together the farmers from the east and the west and the north and the south, and Republicans and Democrats, and said, you know who should be running the country? The people who feed the country. We are literally making less every year on what we grow, and the cities are growing rich on our, at our expense. So if you people want to see a real urban-rural divide in American politics, it's in the 1890s, and it's very explicitly urban and rural, and it's not unlike today when people look around and they say, Where's the majority of the population? Who controls most of America? It's the farmers. And yet those fat cats in the cities seem to be taking all the spoils of our work. Although the difference would be is the nation was predominantly rural at the time and the economy was still largely driven by agriculture. Yeah, Brian, in their eyes, they were the people who actually made real things. The people they hated were people who just moved paper Mm -hmm, around. mm -hmm. So in the 1890s, the populace rise to enormous power, and it looks to them and to a lot of the countries that they're going to win the presidency. But they don't, and they lose. And after they lose, then they're, they're basically seen as rubes and hicks. They're seen as the places where People just can't keep up with the rapidly changing world. So here's my question. Yeah? Is this urban-rural divide real, or is it simply a way that America, from its very founding, has authorized a legitimate discussion of differences, a discussion that might not be as legitimate as pitting white people against brown people, as pitting free labor against slavery. Is this a convenient way that Americans have always talked about some of their differences? Well, I think that there's a real divide for people who are migrating from one space to another, right? If you think about African-Americans who are migrating to American cities and are fleeing, say, lynch law in the South, 
they're certainly feeling that there's a difference between living in a wooden shack in Greenwood, Mississippi, and having a kind of community block, right, that is protecting them from, say, police brutality on the south side of Chicago or trying to. So, so in the minds of many people, there is a real divide. But I think it's also worth saying that this is a narrative, right? It's a narrative in American history that we roll out again and again and again to try to understand how there might be, you know, perceived differences or political divides or any number of other kind of segments of the population. But, you know, rural America is absolutely full of Native Americans, Latino migrants, African Americans. Cities obviously are full of any number of different variations of white, right? Um, But we have these kind of hard boxes that we put people into as a way to explain election cycles, to explain, you know, culture wars and kind of popular commentary. Um, and, And sometimes these comparisons can be a little bit overblown. I would say, Brian, to answer your question, two things. One, to start with the current day and think back. Think about what we call urban music, which is a euphemism for African-American, and what we call country, which, which is euphemism. Which you listen to by suburban white people, <laughs> but by right. the way. But, but, but it's labeled right. urban Absolutely. as right. black right. and country as white. Absolutely. But I think the main way this is built into American history is how do people north and south and east and west explain the Civil War? It's an industrial versus agrarian, right, right. which is just freaking crazy. It was not <laughs> industrial agrarian in any way, right. but it's a way of not using the S word when we're talking about the main courses of American history. Would, would that be slavery, Ed? That would be the slavery <laughs> word. And But if you make it urban-rural, right. precisely because of this interpenetration we're talking about. So it's not to say that urban-rural is not real. It is. It, it is to say that we like it because— it's a shorthand that allows us to obscure lots of other divisions that are a lot more divisive in American history. Mm-hmm. Coming up, we're going to hear how politicians have used the urban-rural divide to their own advantage. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Sponsor. 